Medical Education Podcast listeners. This is Kevin Eva, the editor-in-chief of the journal, with a special treat for you today. As those of you who read the journal regularly or have been listening for a while know, every January, we publish a special effort to bring together articles around a theme that share what we call the state of the science in health professional education. The 2022 version of that that will have been released by the time you hear this is built around the theme of the inevitable triad of self, social, and situation. A bit of play on words to try to reflect the value and importance of personal, social, and contextual factors in our education enterprise. So we've curated four articles within each of those categories. And to try to reflect all three, unusually you're going to get three podcasts this month instead of the normal two. The third one at no extra charge, of course. Um, but I have the pleasure of talking today with Louise Allen, who's a lecturer at the Monash Center for Professional Development and Monash Online Education, obviously at Monash University in Australia. And we're going to be discussing a paper that is coming out in that January issue entitled Evaluation in Health Professions Education is Measuring Outcomes Enough. Louise, welcome and thanks so much for making me read that mouthful of a center that you work in. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for having me, Kevin. And yes, it is a mouthful and the center is usually what I go with. <laughs> well, in your work at the center, let me just ask you first and foremost, anything about this context of this paper being part of a section that refers to situational or contextual variables in medical education. The program that one works or studies in obviously is a big component of that. Given all the work that's been done over the years to develop evaluation models for our programs, why were you sufficiently concerned that you felt like you needed to do a deep dive into our strategies in this regard? Yeah, really good question. And I'll step back a little, I guess, to show you how I got to where I got to with this. So I was doing my PhD, which was looking at exploring the impacts of continuing professional development in the health professions. And I kept coming across the Kirkpatrick's model. And when I first came across it, I had no idea really what it was. And so I noticed it was being used quite a lot and set off on a journey to say, all right, where's, where's this come from? Why are we using it? Why is it cited all the time? And look, I read everything from Kirkpatrick's PhD through to the papers that were the basis for the model. And what I found is that it's really about classifying outcomes, but that actually there's a lot of reference to it being a theoretical framework, a theory to it being validated. And so while it's a good way to look at outcomes and decide what outcomes you want to measure, it doesn't really help us understand how or why these outcomes are occurring. And so that sort of set me on this track of being interested in the right, how can we do this better? And how can we let people know that while, yes, it's one way that you can classify outcomes and decide what you want to look at, how can we actually go a bit deeper to looking at how and why these things are actually working? And am I right in understanding from that, that when you look back at the original writings on this, Kirkpatrick wasn't talking about this as being a theoretical or a be-all and end-all program evaluation and certainly resonates with a number of other areas I've had some experience with where there's a tendency to translate those things into statements like this has been validated and it almost becomes a trump card as justification for using it. Were you able to observe anything that led you to better understand why or how that sort of transition took place? Not really. It's really interesting. 
when you read anything about the beginning of the model, it sort of references back to Kirkpatrick's PhD, which surprisingly, there's no reference actually to the model in that. And so it seems like it's something that's been really pragmatic and it's come about in that way to serve a purpose. And I don't know, I think it's one of those things where you see something and you see it referred to one thing. So then someone jumps on that and it's sort of a bit of that snowball effect where when we don't actually look back and look critically at the basis of these things, the references to something being theoretical or being validated sort of can get snowballed without that underpinning being really understood. And was there a particular experience or observation that you made that led you to believe that a critical analysis of how this became so central was necessary? What were your expectations going in with respect to what you would find around the way that we do program evaluation? Yeah, I guess it sort of came about from the fact that everyone would say, oh yeah, I'm using this model or citing a particular model, but not actually going that step further for why and why have I chosen this and why is it appropriate and why does it make the most sense, I guess, which is a process that I tend to use. And so I was then interested, all right, if people are just using it and not actually explaining why, then let's have a dive and see what's there to back this up. And so you just mentioned having a dive. How did you go about doing that? Can you just give us a quick version of the methodology that you used to try to make sense of these questions? Yeah, sure. It was systematic search using four key databases, basically looking at medical or health professions education and the Kirkpatrick model. Also did some hand searching of key journals, so medical education and a bunch of others. And then did that alongside actually looking at some program evaluation models as well so that we could compare, I guess, the use of the Kirkpatrick model, which is the main outcome model that we see used in health professions with some program models that can actually start going into that how and why are these outcomes occurring. Were there potential differences in when or why Kirkpatrick was being used relative to some of those other models that you just alluded to? For the most part, what we found is that people didn't really, again, as I was saying before, explain why they were using the Kirkpatrick model. It was clear that it's basically, and I think this is symptomatic of a lot of things, is that we don't have very much time. What we want to do is know what are the outcomes of the intervention that we're looking at. So we say, all right, we'll do an outcome evaluation. Whereas the program evaluation models tend to be used where evaluation is being thought of right at the start. And so it's incorporated throughout the whole process of implementing that intervention. And so you can actually start to look at all of the things that are happening. Were they happening as we thought they would? What's that resulted in? And start to unpack some of that stuff. For those who have just adopted Kirkpatrick, you've identified some challenges with the model already. But what were the main criticisms that you pulled out of the literature? The first is that it is outcomes focused. And so while, yes, you might get a nice description of the different levels and the outcomes within those, it doesn't look at as I said, the mechanisms or the underlying influences that are resulting in those outcomes. We also know that the shorter term outcomes are focused from Kirkpatrick, so the levels one and two, whereas three and four, which are more about behaviour and results, are measured less frequently. There is an assumption too that there's sort of causal linkages between the levels. So if you've got a favourable reaction to a program, that's going to lead to greater learning, which will lead to behaviour change and positive program results. However, we know that's not necessarily the case. There's an assumption that your higher levels outcomes are more important than the lower levels. And of course, that's going to depend on the objective of your evaluation. And something that's really big for me is it doesn't give an opportunity to consider unintended outcomes. And so there's a quote that's in the paper that I really like from Yardley that's really about it's the equivalent of doing a clinical trial and not measuring for side effects. We're measuring the outcomes we want to look at and we're not sort of looking at what else is going on around that. 
you've alluded a couple of times to the importance of thinking mechanistically and trying to understand how or why things are occurring. Is that a means in your mind of testing the assumptions that you just named from the Kirkpatrick model? Or do you think that mechanistic thinking is something distinct that we need to layer on in addition to considering the outcomes that those who use Kirkpatrick tend to lead us towards? Yeah, look, I think it's something that needs to happen on top of looking at the outcomes. I think that if you're looking just at outcomes, you're failing to notice any external influences, which we know happen in health professions education. It's a complex field. There's lots happening. Our interventions aren't happening in a nice little silo where nothing else is going on. And so I think we actually need to be mindful of, yes, we need to measure outcomes, but how can we collect this other information? that's going to help us understand those outcomes and why or why things are or aren't occurring. And can you give me an example for those who are new to these models and might be struggling to understand the abstractions? What sort of mechanisms are you thinking about that could be picked up that aren't captured when you look at outcomes alone? Yeah, sure. So what I've looked at is continuing professional development in my research. And so often what that's looking at is coming back to your institution and making change. And so if you've done this great professional development course, it might have been 100% the gold standard, a fabulous course that you could do. And you come back to your institution and you're faced with systems that don't allow you to make changes. You don't have the resources that are going to enable you to do that. So when you're looking at outcomes, you might not have actually achieved the outcomes that you desired. But if you don't look at those mechanisms, you're not going to know, is it a result of the program and that not being implemented and delivered as was intended? Or is a result of something else that's going on that actually, yes, I got all this knowledge and I was really keen to implement it, but actually I can't because of all these other factors that are going on on outside of that. And so what do you recommend as an alternative if somebody is interested in trying to examine you know, things like that, what's going on in the situation or the environment that might have precluded application of the knowledge that was gained? How can we more deliberately get trustworthy insights into that aspect of things? Yeah, so the paper outlines six of a number of program evaluation models that can be used. And the key with any of these models, regardless of which one you choose, is that, as I said earlier, it's included from the get-go, from the planning of whatever you're delivering, so that then you can actually take that time to say, okay, how are we going to know if this program's implemented correctly? So that might involve some sort of evaluation of did we achieve what we set out to achieve in the delivery and it's then rather than just doing say a survey of the outcomes it's okay how can we collect information from these individuals that are going to show us yes these are the outcomes they've told us but what actually was going on in there and I'm a big advocate for mixed methods research so that's something that I see where we can start implementing that to help us collect some of this other data that can inform what's really happening around these outcomes. And just, again, in the interest of offering direction to those who want to take up this work, is the decision between the six a matter of what most fits the particulars of the context, or are there some models that you would prioritize over others? I'm not going to pretend to be an expert in, in any of the models, but I think with anything in research, it's like you said, it's choosing what fits and what's best going to help you to achieve what you're setting out to achieve. So I know these are going to be more time consuming than the outcome evaluations inherently, but I think it's important if we actually are wanting to show what's really going on with educational interventions, I think it's important to take that time. Fair enough. And in that regard, I 
fact, it's a good note to end on because it's important for those who are interested to take the time to read up on those models themselves. And the paper provides some really useful pointers in the right direction. And hopefully it is the case that those of you who are able and ready to start looking beyond the outcomes, that one of these will fit your needs. Thank you very much, Louise. I appreciate talking to you. And as I just suggested, it's a rich paper that uh, I hope people will go and digest rather than taking this brief synopsis as the, the full value. But hope that you enjoyed creating the paper and that it's proving useful for you in your own center. Yeah, highly encourage everyone to, like you said, take that time and get in there and wade through the mess till it becomes a bit clearer. <laughs> Sure, absolutely. And I won't use the word mess because I don't think of the paper that way, but I understand what you're alluding to is the broader million of trying to understand these sorts of activities. For those who do want to get access to the information, you'll find a very useful resource in the January 2022 issue of Medical Education. The title again is Evaluation in Health Professions Education. Is Measuring Outcomes Enough? And the first author is Louise Allen, whose voice you've been listening to. Thanks again. I hope you enjoyed the set of podcasts and audio papers and articles in this year's State of the Science issue and look forward to connecting again. Thanks so much, Kevin.